Hello, and welcome back to the Tea Leaves podcast, where our goal is to bring Asia to you through conversations with the people whose lives and work are shaping the Indo-Pacific region. The basic parameters are resettling close to 100,000 Afghan newcomers in less than six months on a resettlement system that last year, over an entire year, resettled just over 11,000 refugees. So we're asking our sort of traditional infrastructure to do 10 times the number of arrivals in half the time. So, you know, Welcome.us was stood up, you know, with the idea that this is an extraordinary national challenge unless we tap into the tremendous capacity of a much broader range of American institutions, including the American private sector, and a tremendous outpouring of support from the American public, led first and foremost by our veterans community and by Afghan diaspora groups. I'm Rexon Yu, managing partner at the Asia Group. And I'm Sherryanne Anker for Bloomberg Television, Daybreak Asia, and Daybreak Australia. Today, we are pleased to welcome to Tea Leaves the CEO of Welcome.us, Nazanin Ash. Welcome.us is an initiative dedicated to supporting Afghans arriving here in the United States through private sector and local community support. The project was launched in September 2021, last year, and has partnered with the U.S. State Department, U.S. Health and Human Services Department, and over 250 NGOs, businesses, and community leaders. Nazanin has spent her career working on international development and refugee issues. Before becoming CEO of Welcome.us, she was Vice President of Global Policy and Advocacy at the International Rescue Committee. In government, Nazanin served as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs at the Department of State from 2012 to 2013, and before which she was a member of the Secretary of State's Policy Planning Staff and Chief of Staff at USAID and the State Department's Office of U.S. Foreign Assistance. Nazanin, Happy New Year. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I thought we'd kick off the conversation, Nazneen, to talk just a little bit about the overall situation for Afghan refugees. As we're speaking today, the United States is working to settle over, I think, 100,000 Afghan refugees, including roughly 60,000 here in the United States. Many of them still are being vetted and processed on U.S. military bases before they ultimately will be resettled and placed in communities all throughout the United States. As I understand it, this is the largest refugee resettlement challenge for our country since the Vietnam War. Can you give us your sense in January 2021, you know, three or four months after the U.S. left Afghanistan, what the situation is for Afghan refugees January 2022. Sorry, January (laughs) January 2022. I know, I got to get that straight. Sorry. (laughs) All right, over to you, Nazanin. It takes time to get used to the new year. (laughs) (laughs) Rexon, you have it exactly right. You know, with the fall of the government in Afghanistan and the Taliban takeover, there was an immediate and urgent evacuation of over 100,000 Afghans at risk on U.S. flights. Those Afghans were originally taken to U.S. military bases overseas where they received 
very rigorous security and background checks. And then they've been traveling from those U.S. military bases overseas first to safe havens here in the United States, a network of military bases across the country where they've been able to complete their final paperwork processing, receive their work authorization, do their health screenings, and find out their communities of final destination, be matched to the resettlement community and communities all across the country in nearly every single state that will be receiving Afghan newcomers. But also, as you said, this is an incredible national challenge. It is the largest arrival of refugees since the South Vietnamese in the 70s and the 80s. The basic parameters are resettling close to 100,000 Afghan newcomers in less than six months on a resettlement system that last year, over an entire year, resettled just over 11,000 refugees. So we're asking our sort of traditional infrastructure to do 10 times the number of arrivals in half the time. So, you know, Welcome.us was stood up, you know, with the idea that this is an extraordinary national challenge unless we tap into the tremendous capacity of a much broader range of American institutions, including the American private sector, and a tremendous outpouring of support from the American public, led first and foremost by our veterans community and by Afghan diaspora groups. I was going to ask, given what you're telling us, that really this hasn't been done in decades, right? As you and Rexon alluded to since the South Vietnamese. So what are you seeing in terms of resources and the challenges, considering that there is really no potentially no U.S. staff that has actually dealt with this in the past four decades? Well, we are privileged to rely on a very experienced core of resettlement providers. You know, resettlement in the United States happened through many private community and faith-based organizations for many decades. And that was much of how we welcomed and integrated into communities the influx of refugees after the fall of South Vietnam. But Congress and the federal government saw an opportunity to formalize the resettlement program and to ensure that there were standards in place and a system of nonprofit organizations that consistently had the capacity to receive, resettle, welcome, and ensure the successful inclusion of newcomers. And that's a system that we've relied on you know, for the last four decades. But this is a real change, and in many ways, it's a challenge, but a tremendous opportunity. We've seen Congress really step up to provide the resources necessary to support the successful and safe arrival of Afghan newcomers, but we've also seen tremendous outpouring of support from across American communities. We're experiencing a unity around the arrival of this population that we think really can lay the groundwork for drawing in so many new institutions and participants to resettlement in ways that can create durable, expanded infrastructure to serve not only this population, but expanded populations of newcomers going into the future. Nazneen, you alluded to the existing infrastructure, even though it had shrunk and diminished a bit under the prior administration between you know, the U.S. State Department, the role that the Health and Human Services Department plays 
and then the network of organizations, some faith-based and others who are throughout the country working on this overall process of bringing refugees in and helping them to start new lives. I want to unpack the vision of welcome.us, but before we do that, just talk a little bit about how you have seen the partnership with the existing structure, right? The government, the funding that has flowed in, as well as the prior organizations that have traditionally worked on resettlement, although it's been at a much smaller scale. Right. Right. It's such a good question. And it was really, you know, the insight of Welcome.us's co-founders, you know, Cecilia Munoz and John Bridgeland, who had each served as the domestic policy advisor under the Obama and President Bush administrations and had each seen moments where the country needed to tap into a much broader range of capacity to meet urgent national challenges. And so they quickly realized that a center of gravity that could receive and coordinate and deploy resources and contributions from a broad range of sectors would be really helpful. But it was also necessary to structure that center of gravity so that it worked closely in coordination with both government and being able to quickly identify needs and challenges, and also work closely with frontline organizations who also have an acute sense of emerging needs and challenges. And it's by sort of coordinating and working in close partnership with both of those groups that we're able to source the kinds of solutions and the sorts of partnerships that can be most responsive to those challenges, both for frontline organizations and the people that they seek to assist. And we can talk through some examples. So what's the timeline right now for the resettlement process and how involved is Welcome.us to see it through? So the timeline is, you know, it's generally a year, you know, there's 90 days of intensive support to find your way in a new community, find housing, enroll kids in school, you know, complete your final paperwork locally, get connected with benefits that can support you, find a job and be on your initial path to self-sustainability. But resettlement agencies typically stay intensely involved for a year, including with supports at the state and local level, and then are really engaged with families for as long as five years to ensure their success. And I think one of the remarkable things about newcomers to the United States, and in particular, refugee populations working through the resettlement system, is you know refugees who are participating in employment programs are self-sufficient. 90% of them are self-sufficient within the first six months which is really extraordinary considering you know, the circumstances under which they fled and the challenges of arriving in a new country and new culture and different language. But it's a history of success. It's really the gold standard globally for self-sufficiency and inclusion. So we have those assets to draw on. So can you walk us through that process? Because you mentioned, you know, finding new schools for kids, yeah. also finding these people a job, doing all of these things with the challenges that you mentioned, the educational level is different. The language barrier is huge. It's true, but it's something that America and Americans have been doing for decades. And we've seen state and local governments and in partnership with the federal government and many 
um, non-governmental partners step up to address and smooth the pathway for some of those challenges. One of the acute challenges that Afghan arrivals are facing is they're arriving in the midst of a housing crisis. So, you know, to give you an example, you know, in my time with IRC, if you took an average resettlement office in a local community, they were generally dealing with a housing vacancy rate around 10%. Now they're dealing with vacancy rates below 2%. So that by itself is a huge challenge. Secondly, newcomers don't have U.S.-based work and credit history. So our newest Afghan neighbors face the same challenges of being competitive in the housing market as any new newcomer to the United States, right? Property owners, landowners generally want to see your U.S.-based work and credit history, and that's what gives them a lot of security about you know, a new tenant. So what resettlement agencies used to do is develop very close relationships with property managers and landlords in their community who were deeply educated on the community, on the supports that helped facilitate their pathway, and on you know the fact that they're enrolled in public programs and there's lots of financial and other supports that make them good candidates for housing. But First, because, Rexon, of what you mentioned, like real decimation of capacity over the last several years, many of those relationships went away. And now resettlement agencies were faced with, you know, finding housing for an influx of arrivals happening on a faster time frame than previous, you know, when they didn't have those pre-existing relationships. So we went to Zillow and we went to Airbnb, right? So these are companies that have huge platforms for housing and reach extraordinary numbers of housing providers. So Zillow worked with us to educate their landlords and property owners en masse, right? Tell all of them about the program, Afghan arrivals, their security and background checks, the supports they receive, their success rates with employment and self-sufficiency, and inviting their landlords to participate in providing housing for this population. Similarly, we used Airbnbs, partnering with Airbnb and their reach across an extraordinary community, providing temporary housing to offer an option through Airbnb.org where individuals could make their housing available for free to Afghan newcomers, but still benefiting from the guarantees and the insurance and the protection of the Airbnb platform. So it's by leveraging these kinds of private sector solutions and bringing them to bear on urgent challenges that we're seeking to provide additional capacity in the system to help those frontline organizations that are doing so much of the work. I think that's such a terrific example. And I just want to sort of stay on this general topic. And you described welcome.us as, you know, in some ways, you know, these are my words, not yours, an aggregator or clearinghouse galvanizing center of gravity. I think you said to bring to bear larger resources from our country as a whole to complement what the traditional structure is doing in a period of where there's some pressure at scale and urgency. Give us a couple more examples yeah. of the sort of leading initiatives that have emerged since uh, Welcome.us was launched and the kinds of companies, other entities that are engaged with mm-hmm. you. 
Mm-hmm. I'd love to. It's incredibly inspiring. And I think it's modeling new pathways for public-private partnerships that we'll learn from for social impact uh, going into the future. So a few examples. First, you know, one of the primary challenges that refugees face in starting their new lives is they typically pay their own way for travel. So refugees typically take out a travel loan in order to travel to their final destination where they'll be rebuilding their lives. If they don't have those resources available, they take out a travel loan. That's one of their first burdens as they're getting started on their new lives, right? They've got travel debt to pay off. So we went to first a series of airlines, normally competitors, and you know, told them about this. Like, what about providing every new Afghan newcomer a free flight to their final destination? What better way to tell somebody that they're welcome here than to pay for their flight home? And we launched with the airline industry what we came to call the Billion Mile Challenge. And the partnership relationships in there are what allowed us to scale really quickly. We didn't start from scratch. We didn't redo a methodology. We partnered with a nonprofit, Miles for Migrants, that had a system in place and had been in operation for five plus years with a program that allows you to donate miles that then can then be used to book free flights for refugees. So we started a partnership with them and then together went to a number of airlines in the industry to help anchor this campaign. And the response was amazing. So we started the Billion Mile Challenge with 600 million miles donated from the airline industry. Again, beginning with the airlines themselves and then going to Boeing and going to TripAdvisor and going to like, you know, it just kept expanding, you know, people really excited to participate and it became an airline industry initiative to have free flights for all of our Afghan newcomers. And then we went to the public and we were able to say like, we're at 600 million, help us get to a billion. And within a matter of weeks, we had over 800 million miles contributed from airlines and the public to ensure free flights and a mechanism for booking them and ensuring free flights home for our Afghan arrivals. So have you hit a billion? What we've been able to do is provide over nearly 55,000 flights which has accounted for all of the flights remaining off the bases since before we got the program started. So we will, you know, as of when we got the program started, we'll be able to provide those free flights for all of the individuals as they're moving off the bases into their final destination. And just to be clear, Nazneen, this is a need that exists today still because of the, the substantial number of Afghan refugees who have not yet finished their processing, have not yet traveled to their final place of relocation and resettlement. And so, I mean, give us a sense, do you have a sense of how many more refugees, for example, could benefit from this program? Many, many more. I mean, we hope that this is a durable partnership that, again, serves this population and populations to come. So you're exactly right, Rexon. There are still close to 20,000 who need to move from their bases to final destination. And we expect some additional arrivals from safe havens overseas still. And we hope that this is a partnership that endures. I think many Americans would agree that newcomers can get their best start when they're not starting with debt. 
And so this is an easy opportunity for companies and Americans. I keep saying, you know, we've all been experiencing COVID for the last couple of years. Nobody's been able to travel. We're sitting on millions of airline miles. Go to welcome.us and you can find a way to donate and you can help us close out this campaign at a billion. And we don't want to stop there. We'd love to make it a program that endures. I really believe that this is a beautiful way how, you know, private and public civic societies can come together, right? And it's so exciting and I can see the excitement in you. But the cautious optimist in me has to ask about what you said, future populations, right? I mean, we've seen so much public and media attention on Afghan refugees, but there are so many other different humanitarian crises as well, right? Whether it's the exodus from Myanmar or the conflict in Ethiopia, you've worked in this field for a very long time. Is there a model that Welcome.us has that perhaps is applicable to other refugee groups and what needs to be done? Yes, it's such a good and really important question, Cherry. Part of the reason Welcome Done Us was initiated was not only to help with the current challenge of Afghan arrivals, but to seize the opportunity to bring many more Americans and institutions into the experience of welcoming, to create durable systems changes and new capacity in the system, and to create new consensus opportunities across the American public for welcome. So in my five and a half years with the International Rescue Committee, that really coincided with a period of global retreat from humanitarian obligations. Wealthy nations reducing the numbers of people that they were resettling, closing their borders, introducing harsh asylum policies, returning people to dangerous situations, allowing people to drown in the sea. It's been a period of retreat from humanitarian obligations. The opportunity we see now around the unity that's emerging in this population is to give people opportunities to participate and be transformed by that experience. We know that welcoming transforms both the person who's in receipt of that welcome and the welcomer. So our intention is to give Americans smooth the pathways for, their, for them to be able to make direct contributions, come into direct participation with their new neighbors and be transformed by the experience and you know, put their hand up for how much the U.S. should be doing more of this and how capable we are and how much of a benefit it is to our communities when we do more of this. We don't have the political consensus right now that we need to deal with the migration challenges that are happening all over the world as a result of conflict, as you identify, but also as a result of climate change. We need more durable technical capacity and more durable political capacity to welcome newcomers welcome them well, and tell the story of the tremendous contributions that they've made over decades. The experience is 100% of economic contribution, social and cultural contribution, and benefit to any community of which they become a part. 
Nesneen, thank you. I have to say, you know, at a time, as you allude to, of political and other disagreement and discord, it's been heartening in a number of ways to see us in the United States, I'm referring to, come together in response to the plight and the challenge and the needs that we have seen unfold for this community of Afghans that, you know, arrived at such scale. And as you say, are continuing to arrive. I don't think we should overlook that here from Afghanistan and its neighboring countries. It's just very heartwarming. And it's going to, well, it is really inspiring. I mean, I'll give you a couple more examples. You know, we've launched a welcome exchange to make it easier for the private sector to make job opportunities available to newcomers, right? Again, something that used to happen at a very local level, you developed relationships with your local employers. We launched the exchange and before we've even really publicized it, there are 40,000 jobs on the exchange. So this is a website, practically speaking, and an exchange that lists... Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any employer can go of any size can go to welcome.us and list jobs that they have available for Afghan newcomers. And again, broadly speaking, additional populations to come, expanded populations to come. And it gives you an opportunity to sort by skills, sort by location, sort by job type. There are many among this population who are fluent in English, have deep education backgrounds. Many worked with U.S. agencies or U.S. nonprofits, but the jobs that are listed apply to every skill level. And we've had employers clamoring for opportunities to hire newcomers at every skill level. We launched a welcome exchange to make it easy for companies to donate, right? Companies are like, I know people need mattresses. I know they need clothes. I know they need warm jackets. Where do I send it? What do I do? And we tried to create an efficient matching mechanism. We didn't try. We did it. It's a first-of-its-kind donation exchange platform where frontline organizations can post what they need, right, from the clients they're working with. And small businesses and large can match those needs and deliver precisely what's needed, precisely where it's needed, and the quantity that's needed. It's a huge innovation. And as mean, what would you say to some of those people who look at Turkey, uh, Europe, and see the large influx of refugees, perhaps causing some cultural conflict, difficulty in assimilating in local populations. What would you say to those concerns? You know, the best way to address those concerns is with the warm embrace of your new community, right? It's so interesting, actually, in that you know, we focus very much on basic needs, like you need housing, you need household supplies, you need furniture, you need you know, clothing and goods and a little bit of cash to get on your feet. Yes. Most importantly, you need a friend and a guide in your local community who can tell you where to buy your groceries, tell you the best place to send your kids to school, tell you how to, you know, like tell you how to take the bus, you know, tell you where to get a really good cup of coffee and take you out for tea and invite you over for dinner. People have the best inclusion experiences and are most able to make their contributions most quickly when they're embraced. And that's part of welcome.us's intention as well, although I have to say Americans everywhere are opening their arms for that embrace. And we're eager to tell those stories and to make those matches and to ensure that every Afghan newcomers and 
newcomers of other populations to come feel that warm embrace in their new American communities. Nazine, I think that is an inspirational sentiment to wrap up our conversation. Really, thank you for sharing with us the initiative Welcome.us and several of the ways in which companies, individuals can get involved from throughout the country to bring resources to bear. Wish you the best. Thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with the two of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nazanin. It was really a treat for us. And thank you to our listeners as well. Please be sure to rate and follow us on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also access a full video of our conversation on the Asia Group's YouTube page. We'll see you next time on Tea Leaves.